which was going on, and he uh, thought he could solve it by simply appealing to God, who would certainly share his concern about the problem. But one thing led to another. So in Habakkuk chapter 1, it starts out like this. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you, violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, uh, perverse judgment proceeds. And Habakkuk is looking around at him and he's seeing a problem that is coming back in to the nation of Israel. Josiah, who had been their king recently, has been killed in battle. And now he's been replaced by another king, and this king is, and Josiah was a reformer, bringing them back under the Mosaic Covenant and back under the law. And now this new king has decided, well, we're going to go back to the old ways, the old ways being the evil ways. And the nation now is going into his moral crumbling yet again, and he's watching it happen before his eyes. And he sees injustice that is being uh, lived out. And once again, the powerful and the and the strong and the wealthy are taking it to task upon the weak and the poor. And so it's, it's bothering him, so he cries out to the Lord. God, why are you not intervening in this problem here? You know the struggles that we have. Do something and fix the evil that is clearly before me. And God answers him. By the way, Habakkuk is interesting. And that it's set up on this dialogue, this kind of back-and-forth dialogue between God and Habakkuk. And uh, it's interesting to see how each of these separate, um, separate prophets are structured. But that's, that's what we have here. So in, verse, uh, in picking it up in verse 5, we get, Look among the nations. This is God's reply. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's another name also for the Babylonians. A bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their charges charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. And he goes on with further descriptions of these Chaldeans. And God says to God says to Habakkuk, Yeah, I know it's a tough time. I know I see the degradation that's happening. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring this pagan people on top of you. And they are gonna be your judges, and I'm gonna use them to severely afflict the people of Israel, and I'm gonna deal with their sin in this way. Well, Habakkuk sees that now as he thought he was going to get a solution, right? The first problem was solved, and now he's got a second problem. And he brings that problem to the Lord, and dropping down to verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? 
Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their shame is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? And effectively Habakkuk looks at God's answer when he says, why are you not dealing with the evil in Israel? God says, I'm bringing in the Chaldeans. He says, hold on a second. They're worse than we are. How is it that you whose eyes are too pure to look upon evil are using these who are worse than we are to correct us? How is it that the unrighteous or more unrighteous are the correctors of your very people, your righteous children? And he says their evil is going to be unbounded. They're like the fish of the sea. They're like creeping things with no one to rule over them. They'll do whatever they choose to do because they will have the power to do that. And they're known for really having no conscience about oppressing another nation and taking over another people. There are no rules that they follow. And they will come in and they will just like burn over the, the people of, of Israel. And they're going to destroy them. And additionally, Lord, they're pagan idolaters. So what you have, he says, they, they burn incense to their nets. That's not fishing nets. But it's their sense of power, their sense of pride, their sense of, ah, our gods are good and strong and we can, we can defeat anyone we want. He says they're pagan worshipers. And are you going to let them go from one nation, fill their nets up, meaning take over a nation, totally deplete it, totally destroy it, and then, okay, we got that one taken care of, clear out their nets, pass everything back to the homeland and move on to the next nation and fill their nets up again, take over a whole other nation? These are wicked people who worship pagan gods. (coughs) How is it that you're going to let that happen. That doesn't seem like a solution to the problem of evil here in Israel. Got me thinking about something, friends. Have you ever noticed on this question of evil, you know, this is one of those questions that people throw out. Last week we touched on suffering, and they go hand in hand, but last week we touched on suffering a little bit. And people say, I look at all the suffering in the world and I can't believe there's a God. Well, you know what? Some people just say, look at all the evil in the world. I can't believe there's a God. And so I've been thinking about that. Have you ever noticed he's correcting God on how he's dealing with the question of evil? Have you ever noticed how we really want God to deal with evil the way we want him to deal with evil? And one of those elements is we don't want God to deal with evil perfectly. No, we really don't want that. Because what would that mean? Well, let's give an illustration. When Steve Porter and uh, his sons showed us how they train their hounds in order to hunt coyotes, uh, they were saying one of the things they had to learn is not to chase the deer, not to follow the deer scent. Am I correct? So you had some collars. If they went after a deer, boom, you hit them quick, you hit them fast. 
and being hit quick and fast enough times with these collars on, they learn that that's a scent I don't go after because it hurts when I go after that scent. And eventually they break them of that habit. I got to thinking, imagine if we're like pleading out to God, God, you need to deal with the evil around us. It's a terrible, horrible world. I got to thinking, what if God placed one of those collars on each one of us? And every time, every time, we touched on sin. Zip, zip, every time. See, we go, you want that? Wouldn't that be great? Look at how well-behaved we'd all be. Would we like that? And we'd all go, no, I don't think I could handle that. Right? Because I want to I really honestly, I want to hold to some level of sin that I can do and get away with. Not going to be as bad as the other people, but I want my level that I'm comfortable with. It's kind of like... Strikes me. It's kind of like, you know, just what does the government allow parts per million of cockroaches in a hot dog, right? It's like there's some degree in which they allow it to be in there. And they say, well, it's not toxic at this level. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You've never read the package on your hot dogs, have you? Okay. Lori and I read the package one time, didn't eat hot dogs for about three years. I'm serious. (laughs) That's a true story. But we want some level. Because imagine where we would be if God was perfect in dealing with our sin. He was completely perfect, and he's like, nothing. You get no leeway at all. And we all got this little invisible shock collar on, right? And um, so we're here, and I just picture this particularly, like, you know, at home it happens, right? Husband gets rude with his wife. This is, oh, oh, there it is again. You know, wife disrespects her husband. Oh, there it is again. Kids, you know, they sass their parents. Oh, 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 you know, it's like, well, we'd be walking around all the time going, oh, ah, oh, stop, stop, all right? But hey, but we'd begin to live the way we're supposed to, right? And I thought, wouldn't that be something in church? Imagine it in church, right? You know, so it's like, oh, we're here. We're good people. We're the good ones in the community because we go to church and we let everybody know that Jesus loves us because we're so good and sweet. And so the praise team comes up and, uh, you know, Evan introduces a song and six people don't like the song. Well, I wish he wasn't singing that song. They're all going, ooh, ooh, you know. Somebody else looks at the way, you know, some, the way somebody is dressed, and it's just like, you know, I don't think those colors go together very well. Burt, burt. And then somebody is watching other people. Oh, they got zapped, you know, they got sin. Burt, burt. Oh, yeah, I got sin too, all right? So there it is. And before you know it, the whole congregation is going, burt, burt, ah, burt, ah. right? That's where we would be. That's where we'd be. And all I can think of is then I got to get up and try and preach. I'm thinking to myself, watching you all going, er, 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 and I go, you bunch of sinners, er, 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 then I'm up here. Would not be good. You see, we want to define for God the level of evil that he should find acceptable and that which he should deal with. And that's really what Habakkuk is saying. God, you're not dealing with evil properly here. And God's responding to him. So, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. Again, it's based on this dialogue. And what I will answer when I am corrected. Because it seems to Habakkuk that God's out of character in bringing in the Chaldeans to judge the Israelites, who are God's chosen people. And the Chaldeans Chaldeans are are a more uh, unrighteous pagan group. So here's what the Lord says. Then the Lord answered me and said, verse 2 of chapter 2, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, 
that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, that the, but the just shall live by his faith. So he points out, he says, here's a vision for you and understand the vision. There is a specific time when this will be fulfilled. There is an appointed time. And when that time comes, this vision will be fulfilled. And he says, yes, there is a problem with the proud. The proud, his soul is not upright in him. And he sets the proud in contrast to the faithful. The just shall live by faith. And so here's this simple distinction that's being drawn. Are we a people who live proudly before God and say, we'll do it our way, thank you. We have our own means of getting life done. Or are we a people who recognize, I am completely dependent upon you, and therefore I humble myself. I humble myself to your work in my life, to your direction in my life, to your care in my life. I mean, we actually sang about that in, in a way this morning. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. God, my very breath comes from you. And so therefore, I must live in humble dependence upon you. But the Chaldeans were proud. They were proud people. And he, and he says, yeah, they absolutely are proud. And that's a problem. And he's going to deal with that problem. And in fact, as you move through this next passage, and it won't come up on the screen, but in chapter 6, it says, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And then in verse, er, chapter, verse 6, in verse 9, Woe to him who covets evil gain. Verse 12, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed. Verse 15, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor. And then in verse, uh, let's see, 19, Woe to him who says to wood, Awake. He calls him out on the idolatry that they have. See, God knows what's up, friends. He is aware that there is evil in this world. And he is aware how serious it is. And he aware, he's aware that the root of the problem is a proud spirit in mankind that will not humble himself and acknowledge who God is and to allow God to do a work in him. And he says, Whoa, the day is coming when all of these things will be put in proper order and they will be judged accordingly. So yes, there is a problem. Then he says specifically, because remember he said, there's an appointed time. Verse 14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that's our, that's our memory verse for today. That the, at the appointed time, the knowledge of the Lord will be known and experienced and seen throughout the entire earth. Now that didn't happen during the time of Habakkuk. It didn't happen any time during the time of the Babylonians. We still await for that time. But he was given a vision that says it will happen and it will happen at the right time. It will not tarry. And at that time the entire earth will know God's glory. And that time is when Jesus Christ will come. We are celebrating this season 
that Jesus Christ came the first time as the suffering servant, but he will come again as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's interesting to me in the prophets how often when they're calling out the people on their sin and they're, and they're um, prophesying that judgment is to come, it appears to me so often, though, in that whole picture they're saying, but there still is this thing that's going to happen. And God is going to reign. And things will be put in order. And your rightful place in history will be known, Israel and Judah, and how God has used you. It will all come in its proper place, in its proper time. And there's going to come a time when Jesus Christ reigns in, from, from Jerusalem. That is the place where God's heart has been identified. And he will reign over the entire earth. And everyone will see God's glory. And at the end of that section, he then gives this verse, verse 20, after describing this destruction that's going to come, these five woes upon these people, all that's going to happen, there is a prophesied time when Christ will reign. And then to me, it's this very calming verse at the end of, of what God is saying here in verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You need to put those three verses, verse 4, verse 14 and 20 together. Verse 4, God says, I know that sin abounds in the heart of the pride, prideful. Verse 14, there's an appointed time when my glory will be known. Verse 20, but right now, I'm in my temple. Right now, I'm not carrying these things out in that significant way. I'm waiting for the right time, but I am still in charge. I am still aware. I still know everything that is going on. And so you need to trust me. And with that encouragement, Habakkuk is able to call upon the Lord and find that uh, there is a place of hope for him. And so the next chapter deals with that. But notice where it ends, because this is what I want to get to. Verse 17 of chapter 3, this one who cried out that God's not doing anything has been reminded, yes, God knows the problem. God has a planned solution, but right now he is waiting until that perfect time that he is appointed and he is still in control. Notice where Habakkuk finishes. Because Habakkuk knows there's judgment coming upon his nation. You have to understand that. God's told him that. The Chaldeans are going to come. But notice now how Habakkuk is able to view that. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, even as the judgment comes across. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Now, I've got to tell you, Okay, so here's, here's Habakkuk, and he's, he, he just senses, okay, God is in control. Even though he's not doing it the way I would do it, he's in control. But I've I got to tell you, when I first read that last verse, the Lord is my strength, he will make my feet like deer's feet, and, and that's, uh, that's you know, uh, uh, spoken in that way of, of uh, also oxen and different things, that it's power. 
It's steadfastness. But when I read it the first time, what I'm reading is, he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk in my high heels. And I'm like, a deer's feet in high heels? What are you talking about here? Okay, it's just, oh, he's going to make him walk on high hills. Okay, strong, powerful feet that he's walking on the hills, and he's going to be in a stable place. And it's going to be good because God is in control. Friends, here's, here's where I want to wrap it up with this, okay? And um, can we start working on that wall back there? Can I? Somebody, there, thank you, Jeff. This is a good time to do that. Men still wrestle with this question, don't they, friends? They still wrestle with this question of evil and how it's playing out in our world. But in the book of Habakkuk, here's what God is saying. When God's glory is revealed, chapter 2, verse 14, when God's glory is revealed, the big questions will be answered. They will be answered. God, in His righteousness, will put everything in its proper order. So that's two things then, friends, as we, an- and we anticipate going forth now, because we're into our Christmas season now, aren't we? We have a magnificent message to take with us, don't we? To people who look around the world and they say, evil reigns, that we're able to say, we know. We know when God's glory is revealed, the big questions will be answered. God has an appointed time, and Jesus Christ will rule. And we have a message to share, friends. And that message, I think, has just we can think of it in two, two, two levels. First of all, there's the personal salvation that is... That is Uh, Revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. When Habakkuk was writing, he didn't understand who Christ was going to be and and how he was going to be virgin born and all of the things that would happen. They didn't understand everything about the the coming Messiah because some things seem confusing. Sometimes he's suffering, sometimes he's reigning. Well, we understand. He comes twice. So there he came the first time in order to go to the cross, in order to bear our sin, be our sin bearer. And also validate who he was through his death, burial, and resurrection. And his resurrection proves that he is who he claimed to be. His resurrection proves that God accepted his, uh, his sacrifice on our behalf. So there is this personal salvation that we have to share with people. This is what Christmas that we have all these things. It's wonderful. We all enjoy it. It's fun. But do you know Christ personally? He came to die for you and for me. And that was his first, his first time. And so we need to enter into that personal relationship through Jesus Christ by acknowledging, again, get the pride out of our hearts. For chapter 2, verse 4, get the pride out. Okay, and humble ourselves and recognize our need for him. So there's the personal salvation, and that's what has taken place, provision for that. And then chapter 2, verse 14, our, our memory verse, there's going to be what I, I want to call it international Righteousness. I don't want to say national salvation because that sounds like nations are going to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying international righteousness. That Christ will reign in glory over the entire earth. And uh, he will make God known in all of the fullness. There will be the suppression of evil perfectly and properly done when he reigns. And that, friends, is what we have to share. That's what we can know from this book. And that's why we do have a story to tell. And we have a reason to tell this story.